this morning we are doing, um, we're starting a new series as we lead up to Easter and uh, season of Lent, which starts on Wednesday, and uh, that's a, a season in the church calendar. We, as a church, look at some of those things because we want to orientate our lives around Jesus and not the story of the world. And uh, I wanted to really do the I Am series because there are seven statements that Jesus makes from the Gospel of John. Uh, and I Am is, is quite an interesting thing because if you were to interview me or ask me about myself, I would, I would probably tell you some things like I'm a, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm a brother, um, I'm a tragic Black Caps fan. Anyone else out there today? <laughs> yeah, Sam, yeah. <laughs> Everyone loves cricket, eh? <laughs> and what you would find out from that is, is some stuff about my identity, about who I am. And this is really important as, as we focus on Easter and we, we look to the cross and to what Jesus has done for us through that and his resurrection is, you know, Jesus, it says in Hebrews, is the, like the very likeness, the very imprint of, of God with him. And, and it says in Colossians, he said he's, he's the image of the invisible God. So if we want to know what God is like, we look to Jesus. And what better way to know what Jesus is like than to hear it from his own words through the Gospel of John in these seven I Am statements. So that's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to work our way through those. Uh, I, uh, for all the train spotters out there, I'm actually not doing it in sequential order. I'm sorry. I'm a bit random like that. I, I just had some thematic things I wanted to do, and I also wanted to finish on Easter Sunday with I Am the Resurrection and the Life. So um, apologies if, if that messes with your OCD, but I, 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 I wanted to do it that sort of way. So, All right, um, let's dive in. Why I'm just going to welcome up Josh. He's just going to read out... The word for us this morning. Why don't we just stand for, out of respect for the word of God. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Josh. And today I'll be reading John 14, verses 1 to 7. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I am going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you, so that you will be always be with me where I am, and you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had, if you had really known me, you would know my fa- who my father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Thanks, Josh. Yeah, Father, we just uh, thank you for your precious word. And uh, Lord, we, we, we pray that we would hear you speaking to us this morning and that you would be proclaimed in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Yeah, take a seat. This is my brother Greg. Um, some of you may know him. Uh, Greg is—he's uh, uh, just a little bit younger than me. He's about 18 months younger than me. He is uh, autistic, and this is actually a very rare photo where you can actually get him smiling and looking at the camera at the same time. And uh, my brother 
is um, a, a, the way I probably describe what Greg is like, because you know autism is, is a bit of a spectrum. Uh, he's like a, a two-year-old in a 40-year-old's body. So he can feed himself, he can sort of toilet himself, <laughs> he can he can sort of talk like kind of parrot talk to you, but he is fully reliant on people to make his meals, to look after his welfare, um, to make sure he's clothed, to wash him every day. So he is really, really dependent on, on others. Um, and I remember this time in my childhood when he was, it must have been, I don't know, about eight or nine, and I would have been about ten. And we lived in this property down in Wainuamata, and it backed onto this bush. And I, I, that was great, you know, as a kid I used to go in there and play and build forts and all that kind of stuff, imagination games. Sadly, I was one of those people that had imagination a bit later than I should have, you know. <laughs> I was a nerd like that. But, um, yeah, that was great. And I used to go there and play in there and stuff. But um, my brother one time wandered into the bush and he, di he didn't come back. And we didn't know he'd wandered into the bush. And this went on for hours and hours and hours and we started getting quite worried because, um, as I said, he, he's very vulnerable. Um, it's, it's bad enough an eight, nine-year-old goes out into the into the bush, but someone who's that vulnerable like that, you, you, you start really worrying. And so the police were called. I remember there was all this police in, in our lounge and the search and rescue people. Um, my dad was a pastor of a church at the time, so all the church kind of rallied around to look for him. And uh, there was everyone praying and looking and there were groups going out and searching out. And it, it started getting dark. And, and as you can imagine, you know, even as a young child, I was like, oh, my brother could die. Like, this is, I actually realized the seriousness of the problem. And what actually happened was um, he, he got himself really lost in, in the bush. He didn't know where he was disorientated. And he had got himself stuck in this um, bracken bush. Um, I tried to find a photo of bracken bush. But basically, he got himself stuck in this bush and he couldn't, he did, he, you know, he was just stuck. I don't know how long he would have been stuck there. And he was just, he was just, yeah, lost. And um, there was a, there were some people in our church nearby who were looking for him, part of the search party. And um, as you can imagine, as people go to look for people, they call out their name, right? So they're yelling out, Greg, Greg, you know, Greg, are you there? Sort of thing. So he's doing, they're doing this, Greg, Greg, are you there? And they hear back this voice from my brother, which goes, Greg, Greg, because he parrots what you say. So that's him basically saying, I'm here, I'm here. He's like, in his desperation, in his, in his, in his moment there, he, could, he obviously could hear someone, and he responded to his own name with his own name. And this guy came and, and found my brother, um, and he was stuck in this bracken bush, pulled him out, and he was covered in scratches from head to toe, and he, and he put this guy on my back, uh, put Greg on his back, which was no small feat. My brother was a big boy even then, and carried him out, out of the bush and took him home to our house. And, and the funny thing, you know, Greg being sort of autistic and, you know, how he was, as soon as he got home, he just had, had himself a feed and went to bed and didn't talk about it at all. <laughs> but I, I, I say that story this morning as, as a bit of a picture, a bit of an analogy of, of being lost. Because when I look at that situation with Greg, I, I can't help but think that that's how often we are in life, hey? That, that we are, we've lost our way we're disorientated, we're in the dark, and we're stuck in some sort of thing that's holding us from moving forward. Whatever that is, it could be sin, it could be brokenness, it could
could be things that you have done. It could be things that have been done to you. But you are caught and you are trapped in something and it's hurting you. It's, 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 it's horrible. And you are longing to be found. You are longing to go home. And, you know, what a beautiful picture there of that guy, almost a Christ-like kind of reaching down, picking my brother up out of his situation and carrying him home. And that's really the, the kind of the picture I want to give you guys today as we go into this I am statement is, is that's what it's all about. That's what it's always about. It's about God coming to bring us home. Isn't that good news? In a broken and hurt world, there is a God that loves you, that wants to bring you home. So let's just jump into a bit of context. You just want to go back a slide, Johnny? Oh, no, sorry. Forward. Forward. Yep. Great. Okay, so the, the context of this passage is that this is at the end of John's Gospel, and it's called the Farewell Discourse because uh, Jesus is, 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 is pouring into his, his disciples, his apprentice, his students, all this teaching before he's about to go to the cross. And this very passage we're reading about, he's, they've just had the Last Supper. So this is, he's washed their feet. This is, this is the night before he's about to go to the cross. So, so what he's saying here is really, really important, and he is pouring into his disciples. Now, they would have been anxious because there's some stuff that was starting to go down. Jesus had actually just shared that one of them was going to betray them, which was Judas, and Judas had, had kind of got the, got the hint and, and gone out the door. Like, so already the disciples are, are down to 11, and they're, they're anxious and worried. They would have been worried about what was going to happen to Jesus because he's talking about, I'm going away. And they know that Jesus has caused all sorts of controversy and stirred all sorts of things up. They would have been aware that he was going to get in big trouble with the religious authorities and potentially die. And I think there was probably a little bit of self-preservation, just putting myself in their shoes. I'm sure they were worried about themselves as well. Like, what's going to happen to us? Like, are we going to be affected by this? Are we going to get, you know, whipped or, or worse, killed? Like, what's going to happen to us? And so there would have been an incredible amount of anxiety and stress in that room, I imagine, at that point. And into that, into that moment, Jesus speaks these words. Next slide. Let not your hearts be troubled. Isn't that the heart of Jesus? He knows what's going on within us. He knows what we're worried about, what we're anxious about. He sees our situations. You know, he's not an indifferent God. He knows what's happening in our nation at the moment. He knows what the pain people are going through. He is a personal, relational God who knows everything about us. And in this very situation, he sees their anxiety, sees their trouble, and he speaks these beautiful words. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. This is a, um, a very, if you go to a lot of, I was going to say, if you go to a lot of funerals. Uh, if you go to a funeral, not that it's like a social thing on your calendar, uh, you will notice that this passage is used a lot um, for good reason. Because what Jesus is talking about there is eternal life. He's talking about the life we can experience now and forever. And so he is putting their 
hearts at rest to tell them, guys, there's a bigger picture here. You're part of a bigger picture. You think, I'm just going to die, but there's actually a bigger picture. They, they just can't fathom. And we have the benefit of, we get to read it sort of in, in hindsight, because we know what happens, eh? We've got all the spoilers that Jesus rises from the dead. And we're like, come on, disciples, get it together, you know? Can't you see the big picture? They didn't really get it. And so they didn't even get it to after it all happened. And so they don't have the benefit of that hindsight that Jesus is going to rise from the dead, he's going to break sin and death forever, and that, you know, one day he will return and we will live in eternity with him. You know, they didn't have that understanding. They were just trying to piece it together, but we do. And this is this wonderful encouragement from Jesus here in this moment. I'm, I'm preparing a place for you at home, in my Father's house. You know, like I said before in that story, like this is the story of God. He's coming to rescue us in whatever situations we are and bring us home. And then Thomas, um, who's actually kind of one of my favorite disciples because he just says what other people are thinking. <laughs> Thomas said to them, after Jesus said, and you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas says what everyone else is thinking, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Like, what are you talking about, Jesus? We don't understand. Can you explain this to me? Are you going to some other town? And how long are you going to be away? What do you mean by this? I don't get it. And thankfully, Thomas does that on behalf of the disciples because then Jesus responds with our I am statement, which we're looking at today. And Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the real question Thomas, and I guess we all need to ask, is not how, but who. Because he's asking, how do I find a way? How do we, you know, what, what, what is this way? But he hasn't, he's actually not realizing that it's all actually wrapped up in a person. That's Jesus. I, um, <laughs> as, a, as a pastor, sometimes I, 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 I want to lie or sort of fudge about my profession. Uh, because when I'm at, like, out in the community and I'm talking to people, uh, inv- inevitably it gets to, what do you do? And uh, I'll say, I'm a pastor or a minister or something like that. And uh, you get to a variety of responses. Usually you get the sort of, oh, that's interesting. But I know that that's interesting is not, I want to know more. That's, let's change the conversation or I've got to go. <laughs> uh, but sometimes, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, I get quite uh, you know, interesting responses. And uh, yeah, there are times where I just want to say, yeah, I'm a barista. I make a mean flat white. That's meant to be the frothing noise, you know. No. <laughs> I don't make a mean flat white, but Sam Bardsley does actually. I just make a mean Makona. <laughs> anyway, I had one of these conversations with someone where it was uh, quite a strong response. Um, often it's just that indifferent response, but this was quite a strong response when I said I was a pastor. And uh, this, we were at a course, and this lady. Uh, basically hit me with like five or six rattle gun kind of questions about Christianity, about all massive social issues that are on everyone's minds these days. And uh, I just, it wasn't a conversation, I just felt like it was an interrogation and I was like on on the, ah, backpedaling. And uh, I was uh, was almost like tempted to text Amy under the table, can you just hit the fire alarm? (laughs) How do I get out of here? Can the ground swallow me up? 
And uh, I, you know, I, I tried to answer those questions as best I could, but I, I didn't feel like it was a dialogue or a conversation. Uh, and, and, and when I reflected about the conversation in the car afterwards, I realized that, uh, yeah, how much our world has changed. Because, you know, w- once upon a time, everyone would have shared those values in our culture because um, maybe they wouldn't have had a personal relationship with Jesus, but they would have had a kind of a shared understanding of common values that our society had. Um, and then maybe even 20, 30 years ago, people might have not been that interested, a bit like sometimes, you know, oh, okay, that's interesting but they wouldn't have been antagonistic towards me. They would have just been kind of like, I don't want to know about that kind of thing. Like, that's your thing, you do your thing, that's cool. Um, but I guess many of you have probably experienced this in your workplaces or neighbours or friends or standing on the sidelines of sports events. People seem to be more, in, in a sense, antagonistic towards uh, our values and, and our worldview. And it made me think about, like, we actually do have a, a different worldview. Like, there are some commonalities in our society but we actually do believe different things. And, and, and the more and more our society becomes more secular and, and sort of leaves a lot of its uh, Christian heritage, it, it, we, those, those values are going to clash more and more and you're going to feel it more in your workplaces. Now, this is not, um, we don't want to get into some sort of fortress mentality and you know, build bunkers and get sort of out, like living out there. We, we live in the world, not of the world. But it's, it's, it's important, I guess, to understand you know, that we, we, that's the world we live in, and that's the, the conversations we're going to continually have. And I guess it was, um, it's interesting when I think about worldview, because in, in essence, everyone has a worldview. Even an atheist has a worldview, and they are really centered around a lot of these questions that we all ask ourselves. Why am I here? Why do I exist? What is the meaning of life? What is right and wrong? Where am I going? In essence, you could sum that up as origins, meaning, morality, and destination. And the Bible teaches us that all of those deep questions are found and answered in a person, and that person is Jesus. Uh, Next slide. Jesus isn't just a way, he is the way. He embodies the way to the Father and home. And he isn't just truth, like a good philosophy or teaching, although, you know, Jesus' teaching is, I believe, the most incredible in the world. He is the truth. And I I like the, when you look at the the, the Greek behind truth, it's it's almost closer to a word like reality. And I like that, that he is the ultimate reality. Like, we live in like a kind of a sub-reality, but he is the ultimate reality that underpins the whole universe, everything around us. And we can't perceive that with our five senses normally, but he is the ultimate reality. I find that bit in in John's Gospel so interesting that where Pilate is, is questioning Jesus, and at the end of it, he says, what is truth? And the irony of that, of, that, of that question to Jesus is that he is actually saying to truth, to the ultimate reality, what is truth? <laughs> he can't, it's right in front of him, but he can't see that Jesus is the ultimate reality over everything in our world. I find that just so, so interesting. And I guess, you know, 
we, we have come to know the truth. We, we know Jesus, if you know Jesus today, but a lot of people just can't see it. It's like there's a blindness there. They can't see the ultimate reality that is Jesus. He is the very meaning of life and the source of all life. And I like that when it talks about life, uh, it says in John as well, you know, you will have, you know, that you have life and life to the fullest. You know, it's this idea of abundant life, you know, that, that, we, that Jesus is the source of our life. Everything about our life is, is, is connecting to that ultimate reality that is Jesus and then receiving that source of life from him every day, now and for eternity. And it's, it, it is really the, what, what our thirsty souls need. The restlessness we feel, the ache that is in our soul, is only satisfied by Jesus. St. Augustine said, Lord, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Do you feel that restlessness? You know, that, do you feel that, that ache that's in our society? There's a big hole, there's a big God-shaped hole that needs, can only be filled by God. It's a restlessness that's in us that we, that we crave union and communion with Jesus. But most people don't know that, and, that, and that, that's part of our role as, as, as his hands and feet to, to share that good news of Jesus, that he is the way, that he is the truth, he is the life, he is the way to the Father, he is the way to go home. That's our role that we play as Christians. Jesus says in Matthew 11, uh, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. Our deepest longings, the deepest things within us that we long for, will only be find their contentment and satisfaction in Jesus. Like, I, lo I love the Black Cats. I love KFC. <laughs> I love my family. I should have said that one first. Uh, <laughs> sorry, Amy. I'll ask for dinner later. Um, but my deepest longings are only fulfilled in Jesus. I, I've had experiences of, of his presence and, and of his life daily and on extraordinary moments. It's there that I find life. It's there that I find my, it's like my heart, like the compass of my heart is redirected to the true north, which is Jesus. It's only in his presence and only with him. The good news I know is that we can experience that today. That we don't need to wait um, for eternity. We can actually experience that right now. We get the perfect version of it in eternity, but we can actually have that right now. That Jesus that has been looking for you your whole life, that he longs to rescue you from whatever situation you're in, you know, whatever bracken bush that's holding you back, that's got you trapped. He wants to reach down into that situation and lift you up and throw you on his back and take you home. I'm going to finish with this little passage from The Silver Chair by C.S. Lewis. Uh, do you want to just go? Thank you, Tony. In this passage, a young girl, Jill, has entered a strange wood in the land of Narnia with her friend Eustace Scrub. Due to poor judgment, she finds herself alone and separated from Eustace. She is very thirsty and is walking in search of water. She finds a stream but stops dead in her tracks. And this is what Lewis writes. Are you not thirsty, said the lion? I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. 
may I, could I, would you mind going away while I do, said Jill. The lion answered this only by a look and a very low growl. And as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise not to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill? I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do you eat girls, she said. I've swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it was boasting, nor if, as it was sorry, nor as if it was angry. It just said it. I don't come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming another step nearer. I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. Why don't we stand? <laughs>